This is episode number 205 of the Rising Man podcast with Sarah Rose. Asking for what you want is sexy. Welcome back to the show, Rising Man family. I am so grateful for you joining me here today. Thank you for being with me. Jetty Azuma here checking in behind the mic again for another episode. Before I jump into my guest today, I want to remind you guys who haven't gotten your seat yet for Dojo, our four-day self-mastery and embodied leadership training. It's going to be absolute fire. We got a great crew of men who have already signed up and there's still some seats left. April 7th to 10th, go get yourself signed up today, risingman.org slash dojo. You don't want to miss it. Trust me. All right. My guest for today is Sarah Rose. Sarah is a men's sex and relationship coach with over 20 years of experience with yoga, tantra, breathwork, and other holistic practices. She's traveled the world to be trained by top experts and studied over a hundred modern and ancient texts to bring the best approach to epic sex and adventurous relationships. In India, she was initiated into Kundalini Yoga, White Tantra, and Kriya Tantra. She then went on to get certified as a sex, love, and relationship coach through the Tantric Institute of Integrated Sexuality. She's been featured in Men's Health, Cosmopolitan Vogue, the New York Post, Healthline Self, and much more. In this episode, Sarah and I discussed normalizing conversations of sexuality and healing our sexual traumas and insecurities. We talked about Sarah's experience of witnessing how men support each other through healing in community, the difference between competing to make each other better versus competing to destroy. Sexuality is our essence, why underdeveloped sexuality can limit you everywhere else in your life. Sarah explains the roots of tantric beliefs and how we can better source our power. What is passive permission asking? Sarah defines it and shares how to ask for what we truly desire in our sex lives and relationships. Why all of our insecure child stories from our relationship with our parents always shows up in our adult relationships and how to change that. Important things to do to reprogram your sexuality in your 20s. And lastly, Sarah gave us a simple practice for how to begin having uncomfortable conversations about sex with your partner. This and so much more without further ado, Sarah Rose. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing guest joining me here today, Sarah Rose, coming in live from Manhattan, the Big Apple. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing well. I'm here with all the sounds of sirens and honking and all the trash trucks driving by. So they're all joining me today. <laughs> yes, yes, familiar sounds. Now, are you a, are you a native East Coaster? Where where where'd you grow up and spend spend your time growing up? I grew up in Phoenix, uh, but my grandmother actually grew up in New Jersey and uh, my family is Italian. So um, have that strong sense of that Italian Northeasterner. So in a way it is coming home, even though I didn't actually grow up here. Yeah, my, my radar was up for that because every time I have a guest on here who's got some sort of New Jersey, New York, Italian connection, it pulls the Jersey out of me. That's my dirty little secret <laughs> is I grew up in New Jersey. And by the time we finish this episode, I'm sure my accent's going to be coming out in full force. So don't be alarmed if that's the case. <laughs> All right. You grew up in Jersey and Jersey boy. I love the Jersey boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick story. When I, when I was uh, in graduate school and I traveled out to do uh, an internship, I was, I was studying to be a physical therapist. I went out to Shiprock, New Mexico, and it was on the Diné reservation. And when I told people that I was from New Jersey, I, at this point in my life, I had long hair and the way that I looked, people were like, wait a second, you don't, 
you don't look like the Jersey shore. Like, what, <laughs> like what's wrong? <laughs> There's like an, it, it didn't compute. Cause that's all their reference for New Jersey was. So uh, I'm not that kind of Jersey boy, at least not anymore. I was, I used to be. <laughs> I'm currently dating a Jersey boy. He's not that type either. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a whole nother kind of podcast episode. I'll, yes. <laughs> I'll still steer clear of the Jersey boy conversations, but you do have quite the resume, which obviously people who are listening will hear in the intro to this episode, but I'm just curious how, so if you could briefly walk us through a timeline of how you've gotten to this point of your life where you are coaching and mentoring men in how to have the best sex and relationship life that they possibly can. How did, how did you find yourself there? Yeah. So I actually got married really young. I was raised evangelical Christian. Uh, my dad is the pastor of a church and I, um, I wasn't really the type that rebelled, but, you know, it was something that was, I was indoctrinated into and, um, I wanted out of Arizona. Like I had full scholarships to all these schools in Arizona for college. And I was like, no, like I want out of here. I didn't want to just, you know, have the same life that everyone that I knew my entire life was going to continue to have. And, I was like, I'm moving to New York to model just for this summer. And then I'll come back and go to college. And I just never went back. And so I moved to New York. I was 17 when I moved here. Uh, I was at FIT, the Fashion Institute. And I actually started yoga at the Fashion Institute. <laughs> and it wow. became something I continued on throughout for a decade. And, um, from yoga is how I eventually got into Tantra. So, um, Christianity very quickly became something that no longer resonated for me when I was like living in Manhattan and faced with, you know, the reality of how many different people exist on this planet of different cultures and religions and, you know, ethnicities and races and everything. And it was like, Oh wait, like all these people are going to hell. Oh my goodness. Okay. So <laughs> hopefully hell has a lot of real estate. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was like, damn, something's off here. And so <laughs> it's one thing to believe that like when you're literally that's your entire world is the church, which is what my upbringing pretty much was. Um, and then another to actually believe that when you see everything else that is happening. So, um, I, uh, you know, Christianity wasn't for me. I started exploring different spiritual traditions and paths and did a lot of personal development over the years. Um, I got divorced um, I, I went to India and trained in Tantra to become certified as a teacher. And when I got back from India, um, I started, um, I met somebody who was in the same lineage as I was. And he and I had a relationship for a couple of years where we were exploring Tantra and Tantric sex together. And then, um, when he and I ended our relationship, it was like, okay, now what do I do? Like, there's not, this guy isn't just a dime a dozen, you know what I mean? It's not like every other dude on hinge has like these same tantric credentials. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I guess I better start teaching. And I got to create a world where there's plenty of these men because <laughs> it was really just coming up with a solution to my own problem. So very let me, let me Let like me pause that. you there for just a second, because that's, that's really fascinating to me personally. Because I imagine 
all with all of this, all these tools, the skill set that you're developed for yourself at this stage of your life, and you're looking for a partner that can be on that level with you. Was that that must have been frustrating? I, I imagine kind of going through different relationships and different sexual encounters where people, or, or let's say men, the men that you were with, didn't have this, uh, I guess, skill set or even knowledge. I mean, how many guys you say the word tantra and they're like, "What? What are you talking about?" Um, yeah, so what was that experience definitely. like? Uh, it sucks. <laughs> I was like back to bad sex after finally, you know, getting away from bad sex, having amazing, incredible sex, like every fucking day, epic sex, and then back to bad sex. And I was like, okay. So I decided I was going to start teaching, but I, what I also did was I spent a lot of time um, developing my own tantric practice. So, you know, I had done all this training around Tantra that was on my own. And then I had this to your relationship, but then I went back to like really cultivating my own personal practice. So that way I wasn't reliant on anybody else to provide this for me. And I trained myself to be able to have better sex, no matter who I was having sex with. So let me pause you there for a second. Cause if, if you figured that out, then how did you end up working with men? Cause it, at that point, if I'm thinking logically, logically, so many women complain about not having fulfilling sex with with their partners. So, did you do some work with women too, and teaching them how to have better sex regardless of who the partner is? I have worked with women. So what I find with women, a lot of it is training our bodies to be able to uh, experience more pleasure, to expand the pleasure, to get out of our heads, to heal trauma, to heal conditioning around our sexuality that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, like our bodies can literally be trained to be multi-orgasmic. And so while sex with somebody who's really good in bed that understands Tantra that gets all this stuff is still going to be a lot better than with somebody that doesn't, I can still, because of my body's natural response now, because of how much I've trained it in sex, then I can still have good experiences when somebody isn't trained at the same level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Fascinating. So so I didn't mean to disrupt, interrupt your story. So no, then uh, okay. catch us all the way up to how you got to specializing in working with men. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I actually started out working with women and the, the women that I worked with, they were just, they were like, Sarah, please, please, please help the men. Like they were really asking me to do this. And, um, you know, I had my own personal circumstances around it and I was like, all right, I can do that. <laughs> if no one else, but me, then me like, okay. Um, so just went for it and took my company online in 2000. 2017. I had been just teaching locally in Austin before that. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, 2017 is when I went online and I was totally pandemic proof. Like everything was all set, ready to go. I was already, you know, I had clients around the world at that point. And I just have been growing and expanding and helping lots of people. Um, I helped so many People that are in sexless relationships, sexless marriages have really incredible sex. 
Amazing. Uh, well, I, I recently had a conversation with uh, a man named Taylor Johnson. I don't know if you know Taylor down in North, Asheville, North Carolina, uh, but he does some incredible work. I, I would say he's one of those guys who just got onto the got onto social media and started talking about sex and being really open about his sexuality and has evolved into what he considers himself to be as a sex educator and someone who's who's normalizing the conversation of our sexuality. And one of the things we spoke about was how, especially amongst men, even men in rooms with other men, that we don't really go into depth about our sexuality. And that's a really interesting thing to me, just how how guarded, you know, there's the stereotypical locker room talk of guys talking about, you know, yeah, I slept with so-and-so, yeah, it was so hot, whatever. But as far as going into detail, and, and, and especially going into detail about our insecurities sexually or our negative experiences sexually, it's not something that men do. It's, I imagine it's not something that men ordinarily do with uh, women or partners, but it's also not something we do with each other. So I'm, I'm wondering what, what has it been like for you in a position where obviously men need to be open about their experiences in order to get help from you uh, to get men to open up? Is that like, is there like a process to getting men more comfortable speaking about this or the guys who come your way are already like ready to talk about it? You know, they're definitely very, uh, it's difficult, you know, exactly like you said, it's not that something that is the norm, especially for men. And so um, it's a very sensitive topic for a lot of guys. And, you know, many times they're coming to work with me from a place of a lot of pain, like there's something that they're really struggling with. And so, you know, they're coming for help. And, uh, but one of the things that I pride myself most on is actually my community. So my men's group coaching program is called man on fire. And this community of men is so fucking incredible and they are so vulnerable and they are doing the deep healing work and they're supporting each other. And that's, what's really cool is to see men support each other in this way. There is no ego. It's nobody is, you know, like trying to, uh, show off or, I mean, we, we celebrate our wins because I want them to feel, you know, like excited and to share like the positive things, but it's not coming from a place of ego. It's coming from a place of celebration. That's such a great insight. And I find that even outside of the topic of sexuality, it's one of the things that men do best. Uh, there's, there's so much that's spoken about the Im implicit competitiveness of men that I think is instinctual and, and probably even biological, but when we really get down to it, we, we want each other to win. It's one of the things that we're hardwired to do. We want to be a part of a community. We want to be a part of a team. And so to orchestrate and create a community that's really centered around uplifting each other is so powerful. And when men really tap into it, it's exactly like you said, that's been my experience. Um, so that's, that's amazing. I'm sure that that's one of the most essential components that lets what you're doing continue to work and grow. Yeah, I used to train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I quit because of the pandemic. But um, when I was training, and it's exactly like you said, so we're all there on the same team together. And it's a largely male-dominated sport. So there are many times I was the only female, or maybe there was one or two others, and the rest are men. And, you know, so seeing men in that dynamic where, like, yeah, when you're, you're rolling, you're training together, you are competing. But you're really all on the same team. And you're all rooting for each other as well. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to compete with you because that makes you better. I'm not competing with you because I want to bring you down. It makes me better and it makes you better when we fight hard. 
Yeah, I love that. Competing to make each other better, not competing to make the other person lose. This is a really important distinction to be made there. Um, wonderful. Well, so we got some background. I, thank you for sharing so much of that. It definitely gives more context to your expertise and, and just the journey you've been on. Um, you know, I ask this question of everybody on the show who comes here, whether it's a man or a woman, um, and that is, what does it mean to be a man, in your opinion? I love that question. It's, I mean, the, the work that I do with men helps them answer that for themselves. You know, it's a very unique journey that every man has. And it's, it comes down to the, just this core truth that we all have that is beneath conditioning. And once we get below that conditioning, we really find our core essence, our core power. I find, I feel like both men and women, our sexuality is the core essence of who we are. Like that is what we came from. It's what we create from. It's how we continue to, to pro, through procreation. That's how we continue in the world. It's how, you know, our species continues, how our own genes continue. So our sexuality is really integral to who we are. So for a man to really know his sexuality, to own his sexuality, to be so confident and powerful in it, that I see every single day, how it helps men become the man that they're truly destined to be. That's amazing. It actually reflects something that I think is a, a really good topic to pivot into because this idea, and I don't know if this is just core to Tantra or if this is um, sex experts like yourself, if this is just your orientation around the world, but I, I've heard people say this before that sexuality is our essence. It's where we come from. It's, it's the creative energy in, in, in living color right in front of us. But even when I hear that, and I, I consider myself a pretty open person, even when I hear that, there's an incongruency, almost like a, an old belief system that is still wants to challenge that and, and doesn't understand a world where sexuality is at the core of, of, of life. So I wonder if you could just speak to that a little bit more. When you say sexuality is our essence, it's, it's the, like the root, the origin. What does, that, what does that really mean to you? Yeah, so that is tantric philosophy that um that's our life force energy kundalini energy is what it's referred to as in tantra uh, and it is this the idea that at the base of the spine we have like this dormant energy that needs to be awakened and through tantric practices we awaken this life force energy and it travels up the spine to the to the top of the head and it creates this this congruency this integration throughout the entire body so it's this everything in tantra is considered sacred so our sexuality is sacred our primal root earthy nature of just survival and procreation that is sacred um our hearts are sacred. Our, 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 the wisdom of our voice is sacred, you know, so everything, the whole way up is all valid. Everything has its purpose and its place and nothing is higher, lower, worse, better than anything else. Mm. Okay, great. Let, let's, so let's build on that. Cause I think that's really important. Uh, especially 
obviously compared to the 1970s, I would say that our, our society is, is, is much less sexually repressed than we have been, but I, I'm sure you'd agree that I, we're still largely sexually repressed, right? There's, we, we see it more, there's more skin being shown on Instagram and in magazines, et cetera. But, but still there's a, there's a lot of stigma and taboo around sexuality as a, as a, as a society in general. So when it comes to reorienting ourselves where sexuality is one of these core pillars of our humanity. What do you, what do you, where do we begin with that? Or, or where do we go from where we are now? Yeah, it's a healing process. There's a lot of wounding around our sexuality and that's why it's so repressed. And and the, the repression of sexuality creates wounding. And so, you know, we've been in this uh, patriarchal society of sexual control for the last 10,000 years. And like, yes, we're making progress, but there's so much healing that needs to be done. And that's where I see that we can make the most progress is, is healing, 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 healing. And, um, you know, it's, it's why I'm so passionate about what I do, all of the sexual abuse that happens, the sex trafficking that happens, the, these, the molestation, the rapes, these things would not be happening if we didn't have such pain around sexual sexuality, repressed sexuality creates this deep, dark shadow and is showing up in society the way that it shows up. And the more people that step into the light that by doing their healing work around it, the more we will have that become the dominant force. Mm, I love that. And, and you brought it up before I could, that the, the, the history, historically, how sexuality has been held um, and, and the, the consequences that have happened from the way we've held that, like you mentioned with sex trafficking and sexual abuse, um, the Me Too movement, exposing so much of this abuse that's been happening behind closed doors. And my experience of it, especially as a man, who identifies as male is that there's been like this moving target when it comes to okay and not okay when it comes to how I express myself sexually. And I know that this is true for other men because I'm in a lot of conversations with other men about this, almost to the point where we don't know what is okay and what's not, or what what women or sexual partners are looking for from us or not. Because in one conversation, there might be a woman who says, I want you to dominate me and take me and ravish me. And I hear that as a man, I'm like, okay, well, I, 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 can, I, can, I can do that. I can work on being that man. But then there's the other side of me that says, well, wait a second. I also know that there's women out there who feel really unsafe, who are not okay, that that, that might trigger a massive trauma for them. And also realistically might result in some massive consequences for me as a man when I'm just trying to have a sexual conversation with somebody. So I think it's, it's what I'm saying is it's created a lot of confusion for men. And I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one to understand, well, how, how do I ex express myself in, authentically in, in a sexual manner, but also be a stand for the safety of, of the women that I'm with and just women in general. It's like this moving target that is hard to, hard to, hard to identify. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why conversations, communication is really important, always having consent with uh, people that you are with. I do find that women 
want to be desired. Like even women that I've worked with that have a lot of sexual trauma that they've, you know, worked through to heal. Um, they don't want to be seen as someone that is broken. They want to be seen as a woman that is desired. And there's so much healing that a woman can go through just by being with a man that is very, present that is open-hearted and you can still ravish her you can still be the one that is like very dominant in that situation it doesn't mean that you have to always be dominant you know during sex like maybe there's times when you're not but to be able to tap into that part of you, even if you don't express it, a woman can feel that. So that's one aspect that I do work with men on is that like that feeling inside that charge, that power that is there. It doesn't mean you have to walk through the world like, oh, I'm this fucking dominant man. Mm-hmm. A woman can just feel that power within you. And that feels really attractive. Mm. So if I hear you correctly, it's not something that needs to be overcompensated for or over articulated or expressed. If it's something that you genuinely feel inside that I, I, cause I know that feeling you're describing that, that feeling of confidence, that feeling, feeling of certainty. I know who I am. Therefore I know how I'm moving and operating in my world. That is just implicitly attractive to women. I don't have to try to over articulate that. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I mean, the guys that walk around with a big ego and like, oh, I'm a dominant man. It's like, oh, fuck you. (laughs) You're not. (laughs) Come take my course. Well, let's let's work on that ego. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a really great insight. And I think more, more often than not, a lot of the guys that I meet underneath all of that is just a, a guy with his insecurities, whether he's afraid of rejection or genuinely just wanting to please his sexual partners and not knowing how, not knowing if he is. I think there's also just this, uh, this, this deep desire in men to just be of service that we, um, and sometimes it gets overexpressed in this people pleaser, right? I just, I just want to make my partner happy. The most important thing is to make my partner happy, especially in the bedroom. And when you were, when we were getting you signed up for the podcast, one of the things you wrote in the submission was kicking passive permission asking. And I read that and I was like, oh, damn. That sounds like something I need to learn some more about. So first of all, tell, just let's just define what passive permission asking is and how you support men with that. Yeah, so passive permission asking is this default that so many people have, both men and women, when it comes to asking permission for what they really desire in life, for what they really want in life. And our sexuality tends to be one of the biggest areas where this shows up because our intimate relationships most closely mimic the relationship that we have with our caregivers. So usually mom or dad. And so all of that insecure little boy, little girl stuff shows up really big in our relationships. And it's like, okay, I have to ask mom if I can go to the bathroom. I have to ask mom if I can have a snack. I have to ask mom if it's cold outside. And we bring that stuff to a relationship. And when it comes to sex, it shows up even bigger than in any other area of the relationship where it's like, okay, I have these needs. I have these desires, but I'm so afraid to express them. What if my wife who's 
kind of in a way surrogate mom now. What if she gets mad because I say this? And Mm -hmm. so there's this passive permission asking that men adopt. Uh, Women do it as well, but I primarily work with men, you know, and so it's this, this thing of like not being confident enough to just go what you for what you want go like your sexual desires are important just as important as needing to go to the bathroom and if you're having to always ask and you're tippy-toeing around the subject you're never going to have what you want and a woman she wants to feel your desire. She wants to feel that you're confident in this area. And I'm not saying like you are unconsensual by any means, but know who you are and don't be afraid to say what you want and to claim what you really desire to have in this life. Like that is sexy as fuck. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's good to hear that. I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there just like me right now who needs to hear that because I know that historically and even currently, I'll, I'll be I'll be straight up. There's a part of me that is like, well, and I'm I'm just for context for you. I, I'm married seven and a half years, got a beautiful relationship with my wife. Um, never been more sexually satisfied in any relationship. So, in spite of all of that, I definitely feel that there's still a a shyness in me to really ask for what I, what I would desire sexually. And uh, the feelings that come up are, what if, what if that's not something she wants to do? You know, we're married. I'm, we're, we're in it for the long haul. Like what if that's not something she's into? What if that's something that uh, disgusts her or turns her off, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure that other men have those thoughts and resistances to that as well. So, so what would you say to someone like me or another man in that position? Yeah, a lot of men, that is their biggest fear is a fear of rejection or a fear of being made fun of for something. And so this, again, comes back to confidence and just knowing that it's going to be okay if she says no, it's going to be okay if it turns her off, it's going to be okay if you're rejected. Like, what is the worst that could happen? Like, if you feel some sense of, of shame or you feel some embarrassment. Um, you know, it's, it's really is that is better than not expressing yourself. That's better than not communicating. It's better than shutting yourself down. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. And I I definitely know that it's, it's something that it's, it's, it's very much a mental game when it comes to, like you said, you know, what's, what is the worst case scenario? And I, I think the fear operating underneath more of it is like, especially if, if it's a man who's in a relationship, a man who's already married and, and is, is it very committed to his partner? Like, well, what, what if there's something here that we can't figure out? Like, what if there's something here that is like something she's never going to be into? And I never asked for that because I wasn't confident or didn't want to express that before or was afraid of what she might think. I think there's that thought process that also comes up. And even if it's a guy not in a marriage, but in a relationship that he cares about, and he's like, ooh, but you know, if I say this thing and then she's not really into it, what if I just ruin the whole relationship? I mean, the reality is, is well, if you if you don't ever say that, then there's it's always going to be lingering, right? It's always going to linger as that desire that's unspoken and you'll never know. Mm-hmm. I don't find that most men have desires that are so extreme that an entire relationship 
would be ruined by him expressing that one desire. And if that is the case in your relationship, then I would really take a close look at your relationship as a whole, because Mm -hmm. it seems like there's a lot else going on there that needs to be worked through. That's really good. Yeah. I think, I think most of the time it's something that's built up to be more than it really is like, like most other things. Uh, So that's good. That's really encouraging. And and also I find that it's, it's important to even just be able to build the body to have these conversations. You know, I mean, somebody like yourself, you've been, it sounds like you've been practicing this for almost half your life being in these really honest conversations with people, but let's say there's somebody here who's listening to the podcast for the first time. And they're like, Whoa, that sounds like something that would be really good for me, but also completely terrifying. I don't even know how to have that conversation without like full body shakes and awkwardness. So, so what about somebody who's like, okay, I'm on board, but this is new to me. How do I approach those conversations for the first time? So there's a practice that I give that's a very simple practice, but it's very effective, one of the most effective ones. And it's creating a a space where you and your partner are just sitting there together. Uh, You can be seated, you know, just like knee to knee, eye to eye, look each other in the eye as you do this. And you set a timer for two minutes. And um, as a man, you can be the first one to ask the question and you can say to her, what are your deepest desires? And for two minutes, you just allow her to speak what her deepest desires are. And you're not murmuring, you're not um, giving any feedback, you're just there listening, just holding space, just accepting uh, whatever it is that she says. And then you'll switch and she'll do the same for you. Um, And then you move to the next question, which is what are your deepest fears? and just let her express unfiltered. If at any time she comes to a natural pause, you can just say the question again, what are your deepest fears? And then you switch again and then move on to the last question which is what do you love about me? And then you get to go through that together as well. And it's really important that you hold safe space for your partner during this. There's no changing the rules whatsoever. There's no uh, reacting. If something comes up that triggers you, deal with your own emotions. Don't put them on your partner. And we do this a lot in relationships. We make our emotions our partner's responsibility when really they are our responsibility to deal with. And that creates an unsafe space in the relationship. If we feel like we can't express ourselves because everything we do is triggering our partner, then we shut down. And so learning how to take emotional responsibility for yourself, finding ways to care for yourself, to self-soothe, to love yourself, all of that's really going to help. And, you know, and then having, having the space where you can just talk you can just express and so much healing can come from something as simple as this practice Mm, I, i love that thank you for sharing that with us because that's that's a great exercise to do and uh something you said in that last part about taking responsibility for our own emotional experience is huge something that we talk about here on the podcast and and in all of our messaging in rising man quite a bit and to me that's a very large topic right there. I mean, we could probably do several podcasts and ha- offer up 
multiple tools on how to develop that. So I also want to just emphasize that that, that in itself is a skill set, taking responsibility for our own emotional state and learning how to self-regulate our nervous system and our nervous response. Um, so I want to make sure that's not something that's implied as like, you could just flip that on. At least that's not been my experience. I don't know if you have right. some, some other tactics, but, uh, but all in all, it feeds into this thing that you shared with me before we started recording about being proactive in developing a healthy sexual life and, and, and really healthy relationships that that's something that we can actually do just like going to the gym and working on our, on our physique. You can also develop ourselves sexually. And I think that's the undertone of this whole conversation is that something that hasn't been prioritized for one reason or another, especially amongst men. So what does that, what does that even look like beyond just having these conversations? Like we, like you already alluded to, what are some of the other parts of developing a, a healthy self sexuality? Yeah. And it's really important for men to start doing this. I mean, as, as early as 25 years of age, if not even sooner than that, um, developing healthy sexual practices, and this is going to help you have a long, healthy sex life. I mean, many of the men that I work with come in to work with me in their forties and fifties, and they are really struggling because they did not prioritize their sex lives. I mean, I, you know, I, every day I was seeing guys with erectile dysfunction and porn addiction and um, delayed ejaculation, premature ejaculation that's coming from, you know, either just uh, too much porn usage or um, maybe they are, uh, have performance anxiety, things like that. And the, while they're not insurmountable, like I've, I help a lot of men work through this, if they had been proactive in their 20s, in 30s, early 30s, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in now. I'm seeing more and more men come in younger ages, you know, early 30s, even late 20s, struggling with things like erectile dysfunction. And so um, ways of having a healthy uh, sex life Number one, don't watch porn. It's I'm not against porn for moral reasons. I'm against porn because I see the negative effects that it has on men's sex lives every single day. Um, mm. So just it's not worth it. Um, having a healthy masturbation practice where um, masturbation is very healthy. Like if you have um, guilt or shame around that, having somebody help you work through that guilt or shame um, and uh, doing it in a, a really conscious way, like a conscious masturbation practice where you're in, you're noticing every single sensation in your body as you're going through it. Um, as you're, as you're experiencing this, you know, you're breathing, you're sounding, you're moving your body in conscious ways. I teach men to how, how to have orgasms without ejaculating, um, how to have multiple orgasms, like the sexual experiences that men can have are so big, but they've been fed this lie by society that they only have one type of orgasm, which is this, um, you know, climax ejaculatory orgasm, which, you know, is fine, but it's so small compared to like really what they can experience. Um, so these are, these are some of the ways to go about it. Wow. Okay. So, I, so I'm taking an inventory here. You said, don't watch porn. Number one, number two, develop a conscious, healthy masturbation practice. Is there anything else on that list of items to, for men to start considering? Cause there's a lot of guys out there who are listening to this that I'm, I'm, I'm sure are like, Whoa, I got some work to do. 
Mm-hmm. Having a strong PC muscle after the age of 25, the PC muscle starts to weaken. Um, that's going to contribute to premature ejaculation as you age. Uh, it's something that's really important for being able to control your erections for the long term. Doing penis and testicle massages to keep blood flow to that area of the body, creating a mind body connection with your penis. A lot of men kind of compartmentalize. So it's like, okay, that's my penis and it's separate from the rest of me, but having more of a holistic approach as, you know, as to, to your penis, to your testicles, the anus, uh, the perineum, that it's all part of you um, and, and feeling the power in it, like feeling this energy, this life force energy as a huge part of who you are. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, the last part you said about having see, seeing our our penis as like a part of our bodies, not this separate entity that and disassociating from that. That that one struck me too. I was like, oh wow, that's that's something I hadn't really thought of. And yeah, the, why, why is that? Why do we disassociate our penis from the rest of our body? Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's part of this conditioning that we have around our sexuality and shame that we have around it, uh, judgments that we have around that part of our body. And it's almost just like, okay, I'd rather not think about it. It's there, it does its thing. And it's just like, you know, kind of shove it off to the side. If I need it, I'll use it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's also one of those things that because I, I was thinking about this before recently too, that we've, we, like you said, compartmentalization, you know, sex has been something that has been largely held as, oh, that's something that I do in my bedroom. That's something that I do behind closed doors. It's not like a, something that I bring. There's a special place for that. And you think about our, our sexual organs, that those are things that, you know, we often treat the same way. Like, oh, well, that's, I don't talk about that or discuss that or even bring that out unless I'm in this context. So it goes back to what you said before about the roots of tantric practice and tantric philosophy, seeing our sexuality as an integrative part of who we are as humans. And that, that's probably my biggest takeaway today. I've, I've spoken with, I'm not very well-versed in tantra. I'm very fascinated and curious about it. Um, and I've interviewed a couple of people who've come on here and spoken about tantra, but for some reason, this conversation, I'm really seeing that there is merit and value to, to seeing our sexuality as another pillar in these different facets that make up our humanity, Um, like right along with spirituality and our emotional experience and our mental experience and our physical experience, that it's, it's actually a part of that. It's not a, a separate thing that we pull out once in a while just to have an experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, well, before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you a few closing questions. Is there anything else that we didn't address that you want to make sure you share before we start closing up oh my goodness we could talk and talk and talk forever i I, I just opened the the door wide open there (laughs) how about this i think we did is there we did really well (laughs) we did we did if you let's say you were going to take everything we talked about today and you were just going to tie it up in in one to two sentences take home message for the guys listening what would you say Yeah, just be proactive and know you're worth it. This is unworthiness is something that shows up a lot in men. And it's this sense of, I am not worthy. There's something inherently wrong with me. Um, My desires are not worthy. And in that 
unworthiness will impact all areas of your life. Um, you know, I specifically deal with sexuality, but it shows up as I'm not worthy to have the relationships I want. I'm not worthy to have the house I want, to have the job I want, all of this. And healing that unworthiness will go a long way. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your wisdom, Sarah. I do want to ask you some lightning round questions before you tell us where people can go to find you and work with you and learn more about the amazing community that you're leading. Uh, so you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. What is one thing you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18? I would, okay. I wish that I had not gotten married to the person I married when I was 18. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> right on. That's fair. Okay. So, uh, what do women need more of from men? They need more. I feel like this is overdone in a way and kind of the consciousness talk, but it's really true. They need more of you, they need more of your presence, they need more of just feeling you like mm. feeling like actually feeling that you are open you are available they can they can feel your heart they can feel your soul they can feel your mind they can feel your sexuality like allowing yourself to open to a woman in a way that she can feel you mm. beautiful this might be redundant but i'll ask it anyway what is the one message that you have for women or for men about women that women want your love let's say that yeah like feeling feeling your love and allowing yourself to love love is a very vulnerable state to be in mm -hmm. and many people block themselves and hold themselves back from full open-hearted love beautiful and last but not least, where should people go to follow you, to participate in your community? I'm interested. So definitely give us all the details. Where's the, where's the best place for people to go and check you out? Yeah. So my website is tantricactivation.com, uh, Instagram, tantricactivation, LinkedIn, Sarah Rose. My podcast is tantric activation. Uh, Facebook is tantric activation. Twitter is I am Sarah Rose. I'm everywhere. <laughs> You're everywhere. And we got all of it. We'll make sure we put it in the show notes. Sarah, thank you so much for your wisdom and coming on the show today. Truly, I, I definitely am taking away a lot for myself and just appreciate the work that you're doing in the world. Uh, it's, it's so valuable. It's so needed. And I have a, I have a two-year-old daughter. And when I think about the type of vision that you have for uh, having a world with men who are more connected to their sexuality. And it, it's, it, it gives me more confidence for raising a daughter in this world. And it's, it's work that I just don't have access to. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for being a good example to your daughter. It's a big part of why I do what I do. Mm. Wonderful. Well, we'll circle back with you further down the road and best of luck with everything you're up to. Awesome. Thanks. You too. All right, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure you go and check out Sarah and all the amazing work that she's doing. You can get all the information for this episode and others at risingman.org. Links and resources that we mentioned in the episode are all there on the website. So go check it out today. 
Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to us and give us a subscribe on the YouTube channel as well, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Tons of great content over there that is different from the podcast. So if you haven't checked it out in a while, go give us a look and check us out on Instagram at rising man movement. Big shout out to everybody who's been supporting rising man all these years, whether you're here for your first time or your 400th time. So grateful for you and your support out there. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.